Hey everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the end of time. On, I'm assuming, every timeline, not just one, but... Now, yeah, we'll uh, have to see. Very possible, it could just be one. Absolutely, yeah. It's just we, this is the one. This is the variant where we decided to do this show. This is the variant where we decided that halfway through 1931, no, no alternate timelines, only the main MCU one. So we're scrapping pretty much every episode we've published so far. Uh, get ready for the <laughs> including reboot. this one. Yeah, including Root. this one. This is the reboot. Um, this is <laughs> Spider-Man: Homecoming of Timeline Scavengers, <laughs> which is good because we don't have to do our origin story again. Yeah, thank God I don't have to go through that whole thing of like starting off the series and killing my fucking uncle again. Um, <laughs> see, that joke works because my last name is also Parker. Anyway, I, um, I see. Anyway, so uh, right. that's not what we're here to talk about though today, James. I assume that you have something different in store for us. Indeed, indeed I do. Uh, Colin, we're talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7, Episode 1, our old favorite uh, for just a little bit longer. We're going to start at uh, 3623, okay. and then we're going to end exactly 20 seconds later at 3643. Okay. And here is what happens. Okay. A strange woman knocks on the table. Freddie asks who she is, and she replies that she is his contact. I'm going to start things off. By saying that is the synopsis of the in the episode on the MC Wiki. Here's what actually happens: she <laughs> okay. she knocks on the bar with her fingertips, which was I I actually did try and look up if that was a thing where like women were trying to preserve their knuckles so they didn't so they tapped with their fingertips or something. Oh, okay, um, that's interesting. That's not, not what I was anything. expecting that to be. I was expecting that to be like a. You know, like when you went, uh, well, I realized just now that you don't drink, but a lot of the times, like in bars, especially in like movies and stuff like that, when people are like, I'll have another, a lot of the times they'll just like lightly right. tap the bar and that kind yeah. of means like pour me another. So I'm wondering if that was also like, I wonder if that's what it was and wouldn't it be wild if you watched it and you're like, yeah, she's getting his attention because she's doing that. I want another, Hey bartender, I want another <laughs> sign. And I'm like. Weird finger tap. Write a note about that. Do You're some like, Googling. Hey, I'm assuming this is because of sexist, uh, you know, standards of the times. <laughs> so, and you know, you wouldn't be wrong though. I just want to point out, like, I feel like half the time when you're talking about any time before uh, any time, uh, I think that you could probably assume that something has a sexist connotation to it. Exactly. And so then, actually, that would make sense because Freddie turns around and says, "Do you need a drink?" And she says, no, Freddie, I'm your contact. And he says, I thought you weren't going to show. And then that's the end of the scene. So he doesn't ask who she is. He asks if she needs a drink. And then she answers the question, who are you? He's, she's like, you you asked the wrong question. I'm just going to answer weird improv. I'm just going to go ahead with the script. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she's like, okay, weird choice. Uh, that's not how we... We spent the 19 seconds earlier watching those Chronicoms do nothing, so we have to rush through this scene. So I'm just going to tell you who I am. This was actually, uh, um, I wanted to think of a non-problematic playwright, but I can't. Yeah, scrap it. <laughs> You're fine. I do appreciate that your statement is that every playwright is problematic. <laughs> I, feel like that's a, I feel like that's a good path for us to go down. We're going to go to war on Twitter. 
here we go. All right, so this was originally going to be uh, the scene that they got Aaron Sorkin to write. Uh, it was much longer. It was a walk and talk, and it was like I was just about to say it's a walk bio. and talk. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was a f- her full bio. She told like her whole life story as they walked around uh, the the you know the party. But um, it was you know they had that that 19 seconds of, of nothing, so they had to cut almost the entire. Aaron Sorkin was not happy, and he's like, I'm never working in the MCU again. An Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. type series where you don't even actually see them really doing any of the fighting in the field. It's just nothing but like West Wing style yeah, stuff. Bureaucrats but like, of S.H.I.E.L.D. Bureaucrat like, but it's like the bureaucrat, maybe some espionage stuff, but like right. you very rarely see when they like rush in. with. So it's like, it would be cool if they do that thing where it's like you see like the final moment of Thor being like, you know, you're welcome. Like, you're know, like handing off like a villain in cuffs and like taking off. Thank you, Thor. So anyway, like, you know. Yeah, they, yeah. they do that sort of thing. It'd be good <laughs> they check in. They like, you know, uh, USB check in, uh, not yeah. the hammer, anything. Else. Boop. All right, mm-hmm. let's put that back where it goes. All right. Real so, fast, sorry. I did just think about what you just said, made me think of, you know how Koenig is always like lanyards, right? Yeah. Can you imagine like fucking Thor, like trying to walk into some place? Yes. Oh, ah, oh, okay. Sorry. And okay. he's like tapping on like the lanyard, yeah. like lanyard buddy, right? And he's like, I'm Thor. I think we all know. And he's like, can't let you in without a lanyard, pal. And Thor's like, fine. And he like digs down in his breastplate and yeah. pulls out his lanyard that he's always wearing because he respects Koenig so damn much. Yeah. Um, how could you not? I know, right? He's so intimidating. Um, <laughs> you candy cane. <laughs> All right. So the, we have an adventure. No, we have an invent. We're having an adventure event, and Mm -hmm. here's what it is. It is going to be Avengers Ensemble. That's the one. Avengers Ensemble. The contact, which I have here written down what the character's name is, but we haven't... um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when we established uh, when this takes place, I said that one of the early bookends is when Dracula came out mm-hmm. and that I couldn't talk about what the other end of the bookend was because we hadn't met the character yet. Well, we've met the character now, but we but I think it's next episode, like next episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, before we get the bookend of an actual date and also her name. So she is for now going to remain being called Freddy's Mysterious Contact. Okay. Um, she is played by a... Uh, an actress named Nora Zahetner. Uh, all E's in that one. Um, okay. She was on nine episodes of Heroes. Uh, she played Eden McCain. And when I was writing this down, I had a thought about, I remember her, she has kind of a very elfin face. And so I think I remember in Heroes, I think she has very short hair. Um, and I don't remember what her power is. Mm, okay. Um, she was in the... Um, Ryan Johnson uh, movie Brick uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, it's the movie before uh, you know Last Jedi or any of that. Um, it is a high school noir, sort of what if Veronica Mars, but uh, like not in any way ever happy ever ever. She was sort of a femme fatale in that movie. It's so bizarre because like you you said it, and immediately I could place it. Yeah. The weird thing is, is like, I, I guess at this point it's been a few years, so maybe that might explain it. And like, you're not going to remember everything, but it is weird that like, I remember the first little bit of that element of the movie, 
Couldn't tell you yeah. a single thing that happened in it. Yeah. Which means that it's probably time for me to go back and rewatch it. Because, like, the only thing I do remember about it was, like, watching and being like, oh, it was good. And, like, yeah. enjoying it. But, like, that's weird that, like, my brain is just like, no can do, buddy. Did you ever see Guys and Dolls with uh, Mar- uh, Marlon Brando and Frank Sinatra? I don't think I have, actually, no. In that movie, I feel like I've actually talked about this before, which is funny. They over-enunciate their, all their words in a way that has to be intentional, but is very... I guess it's charming. I don't know. This is sort of like the opposite of that, where they look like they would be just sort of like a Dawson's Creek, very eloquent, very good vocabulary kids, but they mm-hmm. talk like like gangsters and like they have all these like uh, slang words and whatever, and you're like, I don't know, what are they? What does that mean? Like, yeah. it's a it's a very good it's a very good movie, um, and I highly recommend it. She so plays. Like- uh, yeah, never mind. No, no, go ahead. Yeah. It's also sort of like, <laughs> do you ever see Bugsy Malone? Yeah. The kids gangster thing? Yeah. Um, it's like that, but teenagers. Um, and also Got present it. day. Um, she was also in one episode of Grimm. She played a character named Chloe Sedgwick. And she played Rose on one episode of Warehouse 13. Um, oh, hey, we've talked about that show before. I think we have. I do believe we have. Yep. Um, I I have one more sentence before the music of 1931. Perfect. There's a, there's a short scene, but I think I figured out the function of this scene. This scene is written to reestablish Freddie's name and who that is. <laughs> you know, I, this is going to sound terrible, right? But I definitely understand what you're saying purely because... I think by the actual timestamp, I think the last time we've seen Freddy was like maybe five full minutes ago. Do Do you know that I can actually tell you the last time we saw Freddy? That, yeah, that's true. I mean, I know I could probably just look at the damn 17. sheet. I can, I can look like specifically because I have the character. Yeah. We last saw him in minute. Uh, Mike was on. It was minute 26. So it's been 10 minutes since we've seen him. What did I say? Did I say five or 10? I don't remember what I said. Either way, the point is that it's been, uh, uh, I mean, when I say it's been a minute, I don't mean like an actual 60 second, right? Yeah. Uh, That's me explaining to the audience just in case. I don't know the age group of everyone that listens, so, you know. Absolutely. So it's been a grip. Maybe that's better. Uh, It's been a grip Mm. since we've seen Freddy, right? And Freddy is a character that just, like, I don't want to say he's not memorable, but he's pretty (laughs) unremarkable. Um, He he doesn't stand out until he does. That's uh, that's exactly what it is. Uh, but um, don't worry. We'll talk a lot more about that for sure. For sure. Um, I think I was I was thinking about this because in the NaNoWriMo I was doing, I was writing a, a season of, of a sitcom, and it turned into sort of a um, who kidnapped the main characters sort of thing because mm-hmm. I was just – I was trying something. Um <laughs> Yeah, kidnapping. Yeah, you just trying that out lightly. Just uh, planning something. Um, what? Nanorimo. Nanorimo. Not planorimo. Okay. Because um, that's what's first degree, right? Anyway. Uh, exactly. Um, so in that, I decided that a character that I had in the first episode was going to be sort of the villain in the seventh episode. Okay. So, um, but not revealed until the eighth episode started. So in the se- in the middle of the seventh episode, I re-brought him up mm-hmm. so that when he was revealed in the eighth episode, it was like, oh, yeah. That oh, guy. yeah, I, I do know, remember I that guy. As opposed to going, yeah. God, who's that guy Who? again? Yeah. yeah, He looks familiar, but 
Uh, so, You're right uh, because this the thing is there's a scene in between this and the next time we see Freddy, right? right? And it is very much like but the thing is like they could have done those two scenes as one and, and then put the other one like yeah. like before that, but like it's very clear that the next scene which we'll get to in the next episode is one where they very clearly were like you know, we have to, like, just exactly what you said, we have to remind you of who this fool is before <laughs> we give you this, like, this bit of information. Because otherwise you're going to go, I have no idea who they're talking about. Like, is that one of yeah. the chronic comms? Like, what's, what is this? <laughs> what biblical reference is that? Yeah. Um, Freddy, when, uh, like, uh, it was, uh, hold on. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, <laughs> and Freddy. We're in the oh, boiler room, God. and um, okay. and he was like, "The bunny. Do you like the bunny?" That's veggie tales. Anyway, <laughs> I think I, as I was waiting to start recording this episode, I was yeah. sitting here reading about Galactus's origins because I found two more different timelines for reading <laughs> comics. Okay, and uh, the tab on that spreadsheet is gro- more tabs. Um, I was thinking about how I could have put this scene and the the scene after the next one mm-hmm. those could have gone together just just you know just fine just fine now the time the night that we're recording is not the time to have done that it was months and months ago but uh they are sort of a continuation of the same scene and um i need to keep this kind of thing in mind where it's like think about if you can combine the, the scenes because I really don't want to get caught up in a, and then he takes a step and then we cut back to thing next scene and then the he takes another is, step. Is I, do I don't want to do that. I do think that in this case it works because like it is very deliberate why they split it up, I think. Okay. okay. Only All because right, cool. like you said, they have to reintroduce him before they can yeah. give you this thing. But if you give them what happens in two episodes of our show before yeah. the next statement, it's also very weird. Yeah. But like yeah. yeah, so it's like it. There really is no win-win on that. So yeah, I love the idea that that we we somehow find ourselves back in 1931 with another property that happens to take place between. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Between the contact those introducing two herself, yeah. like specifically somehow just within those like two minutes. We said next, but we you know we 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 fell into our own trap. And they go okay. Yeah, that is very weird, but I don't see how it provides context for this at all. <laughs> and then Vision flew by for some reason. Yeah. Oh, um, hey, you know, just to just to make that clear, though, maybe we should state what day are we recording this episode on? Oh, we are recording this on December 3rd, 2021. There you go. That might also help provide context. Indeed, indeed. Um, now I'd like to tell you about some music of 1931 uh no i think i'm okay let's go to social media All no i'm kidding right. hit me up yep yeah, give me All the right. music so uh we're talking today we're talking about don as piazzu's the peanut vendor okay okay so don don as piazzu was born justo aniel as piazzu is this the original mr peanut no oh okay sorry just, just, just checking no, it's the yeah no um no he is um, you know, um, you know Cuban music? Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was taking a sip of something. Yes. This guy is the reason why uh, it made it to America. Oh, okay. That's um, cool. And also the peanut vendor is like the um, purple haze of, of this guy's, it's like... Interesting, okay. Biggest, famousest thing. All right. Um, so, 
let's talk a little bit about this guy, and then let's talk about this incredibly important song. Um, he was born uh, in Cienfuegos, which I believe is in Cuba, um, right before the turn of the 20th century. Um, he was a leading Cuban orchestral director in the 1920s and 30s. His band introduced authentic Cuban dance music and Cuban musical instruments to the USA. Hey, that means that without this guy, no, I love Lucy. Um, oh, cool. It was his Havana Casino Orchestra, which went to New York City in 1930 and recorded one of the biggest hits in Cuban music in Cuban music history, The Peanut Vendor. It sold over one million copies and was awarded a gold disc by the RIAA. So let's talk about The Cuban Vendor for just a second. Do you mean The Peanut Vendor? The pe- What did I say? The Cuban Vendor? The Cuban Vendor. The Cuban Peanut The Peanut Vendor. Uh, the Peanut Vendor in Spanish is El, Manisa- El Manicero. And it is a song pregón, song pregón, which is a type of song that is, um, it's here, here we go. Uh, I'm gonna skip down a little bit. The, um, the rhythm was a son, S-O-N. So technically, because the lyrics are a pregón, because they were in the style of the street vendor's prize, because it's a rhythm of a son and the lyrics of a pregón. This is a San Pregon, and I'm not pronouncing that probably perfectly, but um, it's wild that it's like, well, your lyrics are like this, and your music is like this, so, you know, I guess, uh, like, rap rock. Yeah, okay. Sure. Um, uh, Skate punk, okay. Yeah, well, it's... it's, No, those are very similar. Ska punk, maybe. I don't know. Ska punk. All right. On the record label, um, however, it was called Rumba Foxtrot. Uh, not only the wrong genre, but misspelled as well. Uh, they spelled it with an H, uh, as like opposed to show? without an H. Is how? Well, that's a, that's a rhombus. Oh but, yeah, uh, that's, yes. that's, that's right. Yeah. But closer to rhombus than rumba. Um, after this, the term <laughs> rumba was used as a general label for Cuban music, as salsa is today, because the numerous Cuban terms were not understood abroad. Rumba was easy to say and remember, and I didn't write this, and it wasn't in the article. But the context is, for sure, for white Americans. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> this oh, is... For, let's yeah, go back absolutely. Up. I, I did, yeah. didn't even have a moment of doubt in my mind <laughs> that that's it's what It's easier that to pronounce. Yeah. yeah. Some white people shit. All right, so it was composed by Moses Simmons uh, together with Guantanamera. It is arguably the most famous piece of music created by a Cuban musician. The Peanut Vendor has been recorded more than 160 times, Holy cow. sold over a million copies of the sheet music, and was the first million-selling 78 RPM single of Cuban music. That's wild. Yeah. Um, it Because it's been recorded more than 160 times, it was included in the United States National Recording Registry uh, in 2005. Hmm. Uh, and this is, I think, what it says in it, maybe? It is the first American recording of an authentic Latin dance style. This recording launched a decade of rumba mania, <laughs> which God. introducing U.S. listeners to Cuban percussion instruments and Cuban rhythms. The song was inducted into the Latin Grammy Hall of Fame in 2001. Um, it was in a bunch of different uh, of movies, but I will say that Groucho Marx whistled the tune in the film Duck Soup in 1933. Once again, and, Groucho Marx making another comeback on this damn show. I mean, Groucho Marx, not so secret character of the MCU. I was going like, to say, it's what's interesting <laughs> is that it's starting, the MCU is starting to mean the Marx cinematic universe, I feel like. Mm-hmm. 
I love that. Now, James, um, hang on. Did I just stumble across yet again another spinoff of this show? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'll if, cut that so that that way no one can steal that idea. We can we can just give that to to uh, my friend Mark so it can be the oh, Mark's yeah. Mark, cinematic universe. The Mark's oh, that's good. That's very good. All right. And James is Thank now you. doing a dance. James, <laughs> I, that might be the most proud of a joke James has ever been. At least on I'm this doing show. a Rumba Fox trot. Um, white man's overbite. All right, so. Um, <laughs> Uh, Cary Grant sang it in the film Only Angels Have Wings in 1939. Ju- Judy Garland sang a fragment in the film A Star is Born in 1954, uh, that Lady Gaga movie prequel. Um, <laughs> the peanut vendor okay. was used as the, as the tune in an advertising campaign for Golden Wonder Peanuts in the 1960s and 70s. <laughs> the ad exec is like, wait, what's the song called in English? My Carol, get, the, get Golden Peanuts on the phone. Yeah, my God. <laughs> Get them on the horn. <laughs> uh, more recently, it was featured in the carnival scene of Jose Luis Cuerda's La Lengua de las Mariposas, or Butterfly, from 1999. And the peanut vendor was played by ska legend Tommy McCook and used in such classic reggae songs as Top Ten by Gregory Isaacs. Uh, it, its lead melody was also used in Flavor in a, Flavor Nabania's song Noa Baby. Or it's not NWA baby because it's not like Snoop Dogg baby by the real big fish, but <laughs> about the NWA uh-huh. group. Um, I did make a, a, a playlist of all of these versions, uh, which was oh very interesting. That's the wild. ska, the ska version, the Tom McCook yeah. is really good. Oh, really? Good. Okay. Yeah. Send that to me after we're done with these. Episodes, I, I will. I, I want to hear that. Um, so these are the versions of it recorded in 1931. Okay. Um, Bert Ambrose and his orchestra, uh, due to authentic percussion instruments, instruments being unavailable for the recording, the arranger Sid Phillips had to improvise his own. Uh, they, they were like, well, we can't not do it. What? We'll just use Black people. Do, I have this drum. I have this triangle. Is that a thing? Ding, 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 ding. Um, uh, so you're telling me that the very first one cover basically recorded was like essentially like a kids bop version. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if these are if these are chronological, but yes. Okay. One hundred percent yes. God um, damn. In 1931, and there's a question mark here, so I'm not really sure. Uh, <laughs> the Sexteto <laughs> OK, Los Jardineros. So it sounds like OK Records had like a a house Latin band. Okay. The Sexteto OK. Yeah. Yes. OK Records. Um, <laughs> in 1931, <laughs> Louis Armstrong and his Sebastian New Cotton Club Orchestra uh, recorded a version, um, which was the first version by a U.S. jazz group. Um, and in 1931, also Red Nichols, a stop motion animated music video for this version was created by New Zealand artist and animator Len Lai, presumably way after 1931. Um, so there were sure. only four four versions of this song uh that came out so it's basically like a nothing uh, yeah four of the 160 came out in 1931 so it's like you know kind of a sleeper hit well and the original so that would be and the and the well and the these came these were recorded in 1931 the original was recorded in 1930 and just incredibly popular in 1931 okay now i understand all right yeah so that is uh the peanut vendor by uh don azi as Piazu, um, if you listen to this, listener and Colin, mm-hmm. this is what if you were like, give me something like a like kind of like a Cuban beat, 
Mm-hmm. It you, you'd start playing something very similar to this. It's it's sort of a, a genre defining thing, even though the genre was immediately like, it's sort of like a, a rumba plus a waltz plus a polka. Um, <laughs> uh, it so. is also one of those things where every time you said rumba, I immediately am like rumba. Right. Like I cannot stop thinking about that damn robot, and I'm like, man, mm-hmm. we can't like give anybody anything at any point because all we do is just. Tie it back to our shit. Anyway. Um, It'd be funny if uh, if on Parks and Rec, oh um, Aziz Ansari's character Rumba, Rumba. could put just only, it played Cuban music and just be DJ the, Rumba Roomba. Yeah, that'd be very good. Uh, when, yeah. what's his name? When when Yuba plays the Rumba Roomba on the Tumba Tuba. I love it. There we go. It's not, not only does the title fall off your tongue. <laughs> Colin, I yeah. that is it for me. Um, if you want to take us to some uh, social media, yeah, sort of, uh, you know, rumba foxtrot into some social media. Mm, um, Chevy Nova, bum bum, bum. Bossa Nova, <laughs> excellent. All right, that's also another uh, sleight of hand. And if you look underneath uh, your chair, you will find it's our Twitter account. It's at Timeline Scav. Mm. And oh, hang on, what's this behind your ear? It's at Scavengers Net. Uh, and then if you look here, this was your card all along. And on this <gasps> card, I've written my uh, Twitter account, which is at Colin M. Parker. Now, hang on, James. I'm going to telepathically send you a message. And when you get it, you will say out loud the Twitter account of James Anderson. Oh, it is at Unabashed James. That's exactly oh my God. it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Speaking of magic, if you <laughs> are looking, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, <laughs> if you're looking for a real magic maker, look no further than Nick Bramald at N B R A M A L D on Twitter. Nick Bramald, composer.co.uk. He made the magic that you hear at the beginning and the end of this show. That is our theme song. Um, and then today, since we're finally in December, I would like to give you a little recommendation, a little little wreck of uh, the Patreon. Patreon.com slash the Scavengers Network. I would like you to check that out uh, because uh, I have just barely started, but I'm working through editing a very large but very cool piece of special bonus content from this exact show. Uh, So you're going to be hearing it very soon. So if you want to hear it and you trust me, you do. You're going to want to go over to patreon.com slash the scavengers network. Um, and uh, with that, that's going to do it for us on this episode here of Timeline Scavengers. So thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. Hey, kid, I can't get enough of this rumba foxtrot. <laughs> Bring more of that in and some pictures of Spider Man. <laughs>
Hey, Eli, do you want to help me make an improvised fantasy adventure podcast? Hey, Ty, that sounds fun. Do we want to bring in all of our friends to play with us? Nope, just you. Okay, will I be on the whole time? Actually, no, you'll be on for three to six episodes, and then we'll bring on another guest. Okay, is one of us going to be the main character? Nope, you're all just going to be side characters in a larger story. Okay, but this podcast is going to be hard to find, right? Nope, just look up Side Character Quest on whatever podcast app you like, or just go to sidecharacterquest.com. Okay, but you promise not to kill my character, right? No promises. Uh, oh no. <laughs> the Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.